0: When you look around the world today, there is a lot of bad news you could focus on, amen? There's plenty of things that we are probably unhappy about, that we would like to see changed. You know, we've been told that we were on the the doorstep of a third world war. We could talk about division in our country, and we could talk about culture wars, we could talk about poverty. We could talk about the fact that across the United States, church attendance is on decline. We could look at political scandals. We could look at the increasing secularization of our culture. We could talk about inflation if you want to talk about money. We could talk about a lot of bad news. In fact, if we wanted to, we could probably stay here until tomorrow morning talking about all that is wrong with the world and all that is just problematic. And that's on a large level. Then in your own personal life, you know, from time to time, you have bad news as well. And you could probably come up with your own list, whether that is, you know, the, the, the appliance that broke this week and that is a major inconvenience, whether that is, you know, one of our family members perhaps making bad decisions, layoffs at work, bad news at the doctor, marital problems. You got caught going 75 and 55. I mean, you can make your own personal list. Little Timmy last night flushed his toy down the potty and mess in the house we could look at all kinds of bad news there's plenty of it and it always seems that bad news seems to pile up on a single day You ever notice that? that when it rains it pours and I don't know where you are in your personal life right now maybe you look around the world and you're just a little bit discouraged by what you see that's fair maybe in your own family you're a little bit discouraged by just some things that are going on that's fair you look at the clouds and it's, it's hard to find the, the dark clouds and it's hard to find the silver lining. Bad news abounds. But can we be reminded of a little bit of good news? You know what I think, friends? I think the world needs some good news. I think my heart needs some good news from time to time. And so this morning and next week, we're going to talk about some really good news. You might even say it's the very best news news that your heart could ever receive now often we refer to the bible as good news in fact the new testament we call the gospel and the gospel literally means good news and it's the good news of the gospel that eclipses all other bad news because there's some bad news scripture says that you're a sinner and that you're separated from a holy God, that's some really bad news. And if there's no intervention, you'll be separated from a holy God for all eternity. That's some really bad news. But the word gospel, our good news, is where we get our word evangelist or evangelical. And what is evangelism? Well, it's really sharing the good news. The word gospel or good news is used in the New Testament 93 times. And so this morning, I want to remind you of some good news. And as we as we look at the good news and as we read the gospel, what leaps off of every page is the love that God has for us. You're loved. I'm loved. All of creation is loved by the hero of heroes God himself. God demonstrates his love for us in so many different ways and we could we could have talked about good news for months because scripture is filled with so much good news we could look at God's creation and how he loves us through creation think about this he could have made food taste bland he could have made sunsets boring he could have made us all look alike or maybe all look like me what a horrible thought that is But instead, God is a creative God, and he blesses us abundantly just through the diversity and the beauty of creation. We could talk about God's involvement in our lives. We could talk about his presence. That's good news that even when things are difficult, he bears our burdens. We could talk about how he guides us, seeks after us. Really, he woos us. We could talk about that. He gives things to us. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from God above. God is so incredibly good to us. But the gospel is the good news. And every time you read it, you get a bit of good news. And every time we're in church together and we open God's word, there's some good news. But for today and next week, I want to look at two specific things, two aspects of this good news, if you will. I want us to see Jesus' service. And I want us to see Jesus' sacrifice. And both of these overlap. Both are expressions of God's love for us. Now, we live in a society that is obsessed, so to speak, with, I'll use air quotes, love. Our society loves love and loves to be in love. There's songs about love. There's books about love. There is movies. The problem is the view of love that we hold as a society is incredibly self-focused. In fact, our definition of love often has to do with us being served or gratified in some way. Often our view of love is about pleasing the self. And so our society has it mixed up and it's, it's, it's no wonder that relationships don't seem to last that long because if you have two people that are really about serving themselves and not one another, well, it seems that it's real simple for things to break down and dissolve. When you have two takers, it's hard to have a relationship like that. Eventually, somebody fails to meet expectations and the relationship is over. The amazing thing about the love of God is that God's standard for me is perfection. And no matter how high I try to jump, I can never reach it. God's standard is perfection. And that counts me out of being a part of God's family. But the amazing thing about God is I don't have to live up to any standard. God invites me to come as I am. He loves as a selfless, sacrificial, suffering servant. And so this morning... I want us to see the love of God demonstrated through the servanthood of Jesus Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to open up our our scripture to John chapter 13, the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter 13. John's gospel is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of overlap. John kind of veers in a little bit of a different direction. John's gospel is really personal. Is Jesus and John were close, close friends? John thirteen one says this. It says, "Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." First thing I want you to notice this morning is just the timing of Jesus's sacrifice. Jesus' death occurs at Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples, they are gathered in this upstairs room. And they're observing a meal, having a meal together known as the Passover feast. And in fact, John chapters 13 through 17, they're known as the upper room discourses, uh, upper room talks. And, And in these chapters, Jesus is sort of preparing his disciples for what's to come. And he's sort of giving them some last minute instruction. And so they're together celebrating Passover, eating the Passover meal. Well, maybe you say, well, what is the significance of Passover? Well, if you go back, second book in the Bible, all the way back to the book of Exodus, you remember that the Hebrews were enslaved. They were a nation of slaves in Egypt. And they are serving Pharaoh. God raises up Moses and says, Moses, it's time. They've been in bondage for hundreds of years. He says, Moses, it's time to lead Israel out. Of Egypt and so Moses shows up in the house of Pharaoh and he says God says it's time to let these people go. Pharaoh in his stubbornness and looking around and seeing the incredible amounts of wealth that the Hebrew people were bringing into Egypt through their their, their slavery. He says no I don't think so and so it takes 10 acts of God 10 plagues come into Egypt and the last plague would do the trick But it was on that night of the 10th plague that Passover was instituted. And so God told Pharaoh, and he told the children of Israel, he said, this very night, I will take the firstborn child out of every home. They'll be killed. But there was provision. It said, if you will kill a perfect spotless lamb, and you will take that lamb's blood and you smear it, On the door of your house. When the death angel comes to take the the life of your firstborn child, he will see that blood of the lamb and he will, here it is, pass over. That's the night that Passover is born. Now, Now, here's amazing to me the timing here is not coincidental. The timing here is when God would send his son a perfect, spotless lamb. To shed his blood. And that if we are covered in that blood, when we stand before a perfect holy God, his judgment and his wrath will pass over us. Galatians 4.4 talks about Jesus when he was born. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. Now I want you to think about the timing overall of when Jesus entered into the picture, into the scene of humanity. Pax Ramona, uh, the, the, the Roman peace Rome had united the world. The the language of Greece was was all throughout the land where people could speak in a common tongue. Roads were built. Jesus entered in at the perfect time in history for the gospel to go forth. But not only that, he comes and he lives and he dies at Passover. Friends, this is not a coincidence the children of Israel these Hebrew people they're enjoying this Passover meal that they've done for many 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 years we're being reminded of God's provision to send a perfect spotless lamb and enters into the picture the lamb of God who will die at Passover and notice this that he's here because he loved the world it says and he loved them all the way to the end verse two let's keep walking through this story It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now I want you to notice this though, that not everyone welcomes the good news. Not everyone welcomes the good news. You see, Judas knew Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Judas knew a lot about Jesus, but he never received him as Lord and Savior. Satan had been working in Judas's life for a very long time. Judas was the, the treasurer of the group, Jesus and the twelve disciples. He handled the financial areas of, of their, their ministry. And often Judas would use those, those resources for his own personal gain. You see, Judas sat under Jesus' teachings, but his heart was never transformed by the words that Jesus spoke. You know, the other disciples, when you read about them in the Gospels, uh, they call Jesus Lord. But Judas always uses the word rabbi or teacher. His heart wasn't bent toward Jesus, toward Jesus. Now, we can't fully know why Judas betrayed Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of different reasons. But I have a, I have a theory. Um, Judas, along with the, the rest of the disciples, they thought Jesus was going to be an earthly king. To restore Israel back to her glory days. Think about when she was thriving under King David. And I often wonder... If the reason Judas betrayed Jesus was to force his hand, that he would have to set up his political kingdom. And so Judas, regardless of your theory, Judas was motivated largely by greed and by political aspirations. Now the story of Judas, I think, should give us pause. Because think about this, church. Judas lived with Jesus. He woke up with Jesus every day. They traveled together. They ate together. They slept together. They sat around a campfire together. This group of men were all together all the time. Judas heard Jesus' teachings. He saw the miracles. Yet Judas rejected the good news. Now, I think the reason that should give us pause is because I think today in the United States, there's some odd around 75% of Americans will say, you know what, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you, church, those statistics are not holding true. (laughs) Because the Bible says this that if you are in Christ, you act like Christ, you live like Christ. You do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But there is a behavioral change. And so here's my fear that churches are filled with nominal Christians, that is to say, Christians in namesake only. They were born in church, they were raised in church, they sing the songs, they memorize the Bible verses, maybe they even got baptized. They know a lot about Jesus. They've never received that good news. May Christ Lord of their life and welcome Jesus fully into their hearts as their king. And so here we see Judas finally succumbs to the temptation. Verse two, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Here Judas finally gives into the full temptation and he'll betray Jesus. Now here's what's important to keep in mind as we look at the rest of the story. And the text bears this out. Then we know this, but everything that is to come, Jesus has full awareness of. Nothing catches him by surprise. He knows exactly what Judas will do. But I want you to notice, even with that knowledge, I want you to notice who Jesus is and who he calls us to be too. I want you to see the God who serves. Look at verses 3 through 11. Let's read them and we'll come back and tease them out. It says Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, he was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't fully understand, but afterward, You will. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, what a picture of service, that Jesus will wash the feet of the disciple. But first of all, I I want us to unpack all of this. I want you to notice, first of all, Jesus' awareness. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he'd come from God, and that he was going back to God. Now, it says that all things were given to Jesus. This was not a result of rewarding Jesus for what he would do on the cross because God had given all things under the hands of Jesus before the crucifixion. And so that being said, all things exist for Christ to honor and to glorify him. But it says that Jesus had come from God, that he was going back to God. That is to say Jesus was fully divine. He was God who took on human nature and walked among us. It's not up for debate whether Jesus thought he was God or whether he was just a good rabbi and good man no Jesus had this full awareness of who he was and he spoke and he made the claim that he was Messiah but notice in verse three Jesus's humility says Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God he was going back to God he rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. There's a lot going on in this story. Now, perhaps to us, washing the feet of somebody else might seem like a strange thing. Has anybody in here ever welcomed a guest into your home and washed their feet before? A couple of you? I have not, because I'm too big of a germaphobe, if I'm going to be honest with you. Now, when I was a freshman in college, I went to a church service that we had on campus. I was at East Texas Baptist University. And when I got there, they said, hey, guess what? We are going to have a foot washing service tonight. And I was like, that's great. That sounds like a lot of fun. I didn't really think that at all. And uh, there's probably 100, 150 students there. And for some reason, the, the young men were really excited about this. And then I figured out why. The, the goal apparently was to find this prettiest girl in the room and you would wash her feet. But again, I was happy to just be a spectator because again, too big of a germaphobe. And so they have this foot washing service, but they really missed the whole point of what this was about. Not a common practice in our society, but in the society of Jesus and the disciples, this was a a very normal thing. It was common for when somebody came in, you would wash their feet because you were gonna share a meal together. And so at Passover, Jesus and his disciples, they're having a meal, but they didn't eat on tables like we do, where you sit in a chair. Tables were low to the ground, and you would recline on your side, and you would eat. But if you're reclining on your side, guess what is right in your face? The feet of your neighbor. And so you're motivated for everybody to have nice, clean feet. But where they lived, it's an arid, it's a dry region. You walked around in sandals. So by the time it was dinner time, everybody had nasty stanky feet for dinner and so it's customary to wash your feet but when Jesus and his disciples gather the meal has started and everybody still has nasty stinky feet and in fact the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God and the reason I think they're having this argument is because none of them want to do the job of the hired servant None of them want to wash the feet, so they're arguing, okay, who is the lowest here? And that person can wash the feet of everybody else. And so they're bickering, dinner has started. So Jesus gets up, takes off his outer robe, doesn't want to get his sleeves wet, gets a basin of water, gets a towel, gets down on his knees, and he starts washing the feet of every man In this room now think about this church jesus god himself the one for whom all things exist the one for whom we are to glorify he assumes this posture of a servant and he gets down on his knees and he humbles himself you see the posture of bowing before someone else and he washes the feet of these men. Now think about it. The God who created water gets a basin of water. The God who made feet cleans the feet of these men. Friends, that is the God who serves. And as we see next week as Jesus marches to Calvary in an ultimate act of humiliation and submission, we see the God who serves. Friends, what incredible love that is. Real love. Not love to get, I'm going to love you because of what you can do for me, but because I love you because of who I am. The Bible says that God is love and that God loved in such a way that he sees us as broken, hurting people and he enters into humanity and he serves. Friends, that is the God of Christianity. There's no other alleged God like that and I think that's some pretty good amazing news but here's where the story gets mind-blowing to me Jesus also washes the feet of Judas you know it's one thing to wash the feet of these men who love him but Jesus knowing what Judas will do he still gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of Judas himself and not only that but while they're eating at Passover, the seat to the left is the esteemed seat. This is the head of the table. This is, hey, everybody, all eyes right here because this person is really important. Guess who occupied that seat at Passover? It was none other than Judas himself. Jesus loved in a way that is so incredibly radical that he knew what was going to happen to him. Yet Judas gets the place of honor. Judas' feet get washed as well. Now, if Jesus did that for the man who would betray him, what does it tell us about us? Well, it tells me this, that despite the fact that I am broken, despite the fact that I am sinful, despite the fact that I try to make life about me way often more than I should, that Jesus still came and suffered and died and loved me. And it reminds me of this, that no matter how far we are away from God, no matter what our deepest depth Our lowest low is that Christ came as a suffering servant for each and every one of us. Incredibly good news. Now I want you to see Jesus' teaching. Look at verse 6, 6 through 11. It said, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you wash my feet. This is a rhetorical question of, oh, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't fully understand now, but afterward you will understand and Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, you share, if I don't wash you, you share, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, then all of me, my hands, my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And so Peter speaks up. He's the spokesperson for the group. Now, in every group of friends, there's always one loud individual, amen? There's always somebody who's going to say what they think. And if you can't identify that in your friend group, then it's very possibly it is you. But Peter objects because it's unheard of for an inferior, a a superior to wash the feet of an inferior. Jesus, Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Even at this point, the disciples fully don't get it. Jesus says later you will. In Matthew 20:28 20, Jesus will say the son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his his life as a ransom for many. So in verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Now I want you to see where Jesus corrects Peter. And really in this, he's instructing and correcting all of their thinking as much as possible at this moment. First of all, Jesus corrects Peter and the disciples' understanding about his mission. Again, Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came to die for the sins of mankind. He didn't come as a king as all these men expected. He came as a servant. And he's trying to show these men this. Now, when he returns again, it will be as a king. But for now, Peter needed to understand and accept that what's fixing to happen is Jesus is going to be humiliated and brutally murdered. He doesn't get that yet. Remember, soon to come, he'll chop off the ear of a soldier who tries to take Jesus. But Jesus also corrects their thinking, and he reminds them that only those cleansed have a relationship with him. In other words... We have to be spiritually cleaned up by God to have a relationship with Jesus. We don't come to God on our terms. We have to come on his terms. And his terms are this, that I have to be willing to humble myself and say, you're God and I'm not. Now, that sounds really simple, but I have met countless people who cannot say that because in their view, they are the God and they sit on the throne of their own lives. We have to come to God on his terms and say, you know what, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I have offended a perfect, holy God, and that he died in our place, and that we have to repent, change our mind about sin, and ask God to cleanse us. But Jesus says only those who are cleansed have a relationship with God. But still this, we have to wash our feet. What does Jesus mean? Look at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash all of me. But Jesus says, Peter, you've already been cleansed. I have already cleansed you. You have repented and accepted me as the Lord of your life. But you still have to wash your feet. So think about it this way. If you've just taken a bath and then you have to walk outside barefoot and you get some dirt on your feet, you're not gonna come back in and take a bath. You're just gonna wash your feet. And in the same way, if I'm a Christian, if I know the Lord, if I've submitted to the Lord, guess what I'm still gonna do from day to day? I'm still gonna get my feet dirty. I'm still gonna, still gonna mess up and fall short and sin against the holy, perfect God. I don't need to be saved again. I don't need to be fully bathed again. I just need to say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Would you please forgive me for that? That way my relationship with God is restored and we can be close and have an intimate fellowship again. In the same way, if you're a Christian and you sin, you don't have to be saved again. You have to say, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Throughout the day, often I say, God, I'm sorry for that. Shouldn't have thought that, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done this person this way, should have thought before I spoke. Forgive me for that. But again, not all of them were cleansed. Jesus had a relationship with 11 of his disciples. The 12th one knew him, heard the teachings, wouldn't accept the good news. Now last, as we close out in the story, I want us to see this, that if Jesus came as a servant, what does he expect you and I to be? Servants. Let me tell you what, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm a servant. This is the hardest thing for me to do. To come to an awareness I have it here, but sometimes it's hard to get it here, where the people around me, I'm here to serve them and to serve the Father. Look at verse 12. When he'd washed their feet, and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. it's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus challenges their thinking as they have this argument of, who's going to be greatest? And he gets up, and he humbles himself, and he washes their feet. I want to ask you this, church. I want you to think this through. How different would things look... If we took Jesus' example seriously. How different would my marriage look if I served my wife the way that Christ served us? How different would I look as a parent if I served my kids the way that Christ served us? How different would our churches look if all of us said, you know what, we are here to serve one another. How can I serve? How can I serve? Where can I serve? What can I do? But instead, overall, as Americans, we've bought into this consumer mentality of, you know what, I'm here to get what I can get. That is not the example that Jesus has laid down for us. How would Christianity look different if we lived as true servants of Christ in every area of our lives? A servant is not greater than his master. Church scripture is full of good news and we see Jesus comes as a servant he came to die as the Passover lamb for our sins that is some incredibly good news and so let me ask you have you welcomed this good news into your life you know it's very possible that you could be exactly in Judas's spot where you've come to church for 5, 10, 15, 20 years 2530 I sound like an auctioneer years of your life it's possible that you have sat in church and you've heard the teachings and you know all the right answers but you have never submitted to Christ and one day there will come a day where you hear the words of of sorry we didn't have a relationship i didn't know you and you spend eternity separated from Christ have you welcomed the good news of God into your life Or maybe you you know the Lord. Maybe you just need a good foot washing. Maybe there's something in your life, something, something habitual, some sin that you continue to struggle with, and it's keeping you and the Lord from being close and having sweet fellowship. Maybe it's time to say, you know what? God, I need you to forgive me. I need, to, I need to make some changes. It's time for me to get back to what I know I should be doing. Maybe I need to invite some people in my life to hold me accountable because sin that no one knows about will stay in your life until the end. And it'll just get more and more ingrained. Let me ask you this. If Jesus came to serve, are you serving? Are you making life all about you? And it's easy to say, well, you know what? I do this, I do this thing and I do it, do it well. That's great. But perhaps... God is asking you to take another step of service because you see, Christianity is this whole process where day by day by day, we come to serve God greater and greater and greater. Are you serving at home, at church, the people around you in your life? Are you like the master, washing the feet of the people around you? And last, let me tell you this as we close out. When I get good news, guess what I want to do with it? I want to tell somebody you know when i get good news i rarely wait till i get home usually my phone's out and the first person i call is my wife and i say let me tell you such and such this amazing news because good news begs to be shared now if you truly have the good news if you truly know who christ is why aren't you sharing that and maybe you say well you know what i do i live a life where people can see i'm a christian there's this quote um, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's a preacherism. I hate that quote, and I understand what it's saying. But I think so often we're like, you know I'm just going to live my life. You have to talk about it. You have to speak it. Because I've seen people live in front of one another for years and years and years, and neither of them know the other is a Christian because they haven't opened their mouths and talked about it. What's stopping you from doing that? What's stopping you from telling other people? about the good news.